0: The late pastor, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, once said that we must evaluate our experiences by the Bible's teaching rather than the other way around. If we aren't careful, the church, our youth ministries, and ourselves will fall into the dangerous and deadly trap of believing, living, and leading in ways that are marked by that other way around. As youth workers and parents, we need to be aware of how this is happening through the advance of what's called progressive theology and we need to mindfully push back by staking ourselves to the truths of God's Word. That's why I'm chatting with a group of six youth workers about progressive Christianity and its dangers on this episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, We're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults.
2: Well,
0: I am really excited about this particular episode of Youth Culture Matters. I've been looking forward to recording this because we're talking about something that really does make make a difference in in how we do ministry to our kids and our youth ministries, how we parent in the home. Uh, we say here at Youth Culture Matters that just like our title says Youth Culture Matters, we do believe that youth culture matters. That's why we talk about it. But we also lean a lot into theology, and we truly believe that theology matters because it shapes, or maybe even sometimes will misshape, our response to the kinds of things we encounter in the world today that Our kids are are struggling to navigate, and we truly believe that good, solid, biblically-based theology forms us in the way that uh, God desires us to be formed, and we also believe, you know, the opposite of that, that bad and, and shaky theology, which we have to be aware of, we have to be on guard against, it really does undermine our ministries, even our parenting, terms of what we teach and and even how we lead. And one of the great concerns in today's world that I know we've shared with you before, we had Elisa Childers on the podcast several episodes ago to talk about this, and her book Another Gospel, is that this other gospel is what has been labeled now as progressive theology, and progressive theology is generally stated—we're going to unpack this as we converse today—but it's generally just a sense that uh, our, we, we progress in our Christianity, not so much in, in terms of spiritual growth, but in changing our theology. It morphs. It doesn't stay static, and, and we wander away from biblical truth, as you'll, you'll hear. And so today we want to help you understand exactly what progressive theology is, because it is, as I've said, increasingly prevalent in the church. And I think many times in our youth ministries as well, without us even knowing That we're leaning into this. So we want to help you understand this and uh, not only recognize it, but uh, work to to respond to it as well. So uh, there's a great book out, and it's actually a, a book that we've recommended before. It's by Michael Kruger, and it's a short little book. It's titled The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, and Michael's book is really helpful in leading us into an understanding of progressive theology, and he wrote it in response to a book that was written, I think back in 2010, by a fellow named Philip Gully, who I was unfamiliar with till I read Michael Kruger's book, and and Gully's book was titled "If the Church Were Christian," subtitled "Rediscovering the Values of Jesus." And in that book, he laid out these ten principles that he believes modern Christianity needs to embody, and and they sound good. I mean, and you're going to hear this as we chat today. That these sound good at first listen, but when we start to unpack what's really being said, we discover that a lot of these things are really half truths. And I've said this before, over the years, and you know we learn as as time goes on that that half truths are really a lot more dangerous than a complete lie because they're they're hard to discern, they're hard to see. And so we're going to have a conversation about that today. And I want to invite in a good friend of mine, many of you are familiar with Kyle Hofsmith. Kyle is a student pastor at Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio, and some of you may know Kyle because he is taking the lead and one of the co-hosts on our podcast here at CPYU, The Word in Youth Ministry. So, Kyle, welcome. You're going to help us navigate this discussion. Uh, you're going to introduce our our five uh, guests who are here with us who I can't wait to hear from, uh, but tell us a little more about yourself and uh, the the podcast you're a part of, and then even how we got to invite these these five folks in today.
2: Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. This, uh, as you already said, is an exciting uh, episode of Youth Culture Matters because uh, not only do we believe that youth culture matters, but we believe as youth workers and parents uh, that we are able to equip students to be able to think biblically about these things. So yeah, like you said, Walt, I'm a student pastor in Northeast Ohio, And it's been a joy to serve with CPYU in several ways, but including uh, helping lead the word in youth ministry, which, uh, Walt, now it's hard to believe. Over a year ago, uh, we started this thing uh, with the ambition of of helping youth workers keep the Bible central in their youth ministries. So that's myself, um, a youth worker named Matt in Texas, and a youth worker named Linda in uh, Orlando, Florida. And we're, we're enjoying uh, enjoying that journey. So you can find that that's part of the CPYU Podcast Network, one of our three podcasts. And uh, we're excited about that. So Walt, uh, as we think about this, uh, do you want to help our listeners know a little bit about these cohorts that we have been running, which is where we, we've uh, met and continue to know our five guests today?
0: Sure. So for a couple of years now, we've had these uh, faith and culture, we call them CPYU faith and culture cohorts, where we'll bring together 12 to 15 youth workers and local churches from anywhere in the U.S. We've had folks from Canada, uh, one who will join us today, and uh, folks from Mexico, one, one who will join us today. And we meet by Zoom. This was really precipitated by COVID. You know, we, we got off the road and we said, man, we got we to gotta touch base with youth workers. And it's really been a rich time to meet every other week for an hour, to have something to talk about. We typically read and or watch something prior to our discussion, something related to youth culture or trend, and then we come together and we work through uh, basic steps of practical theology to figure out, you know, uh, what's going on, why is it going on, what should be going on, and how how do we begin to respond? And so, uh, you know, boy, those things have been a real blessing to me, and I have learned so much, and it's a joy for me to sit next to and even at times, I think, you know, under... Uh, the leading of these, of these youth worker friends of ours. I'll just mention this, Kyle. I know uh, we have two of these cohorts running now, and we're looking yeah, to the future to inviting more folks in. And so if you're interested in being a part of uh, one of these cohorts, uh, just send us an email, let us know about that, get a hold of us, and we'll uh, talk to you about what's involved in that. So these folks are from uh, two different cohorts that we're running now.
2: Yeah, so let's, uh, let's introduce each of them. We'll go around quickly. And have them share their name and where they're serving, uh, and what what their role is there. And then we'll transition to discussing this book. So let's let's start out. Uh, let's go to the Boston area with Carrie. Carrie, tell us about the the church you serve, and tell us a little bit about your role in Rooted Ministry, also.
3: Sure. Um, thanks for having me. I'm so grateful for uh, CPYU, and have been so blessed by um their ministry for, for many years now. Um, I am about 30 to 40 minutes north of Boston in Topsfield. Um, and I serve at a church called Our Savior Lutheran Church, uh, where I'm the director of youth ministry, youth education, and uh, local outreach and um, also have the opportunity to um, play a small role at Rooted Ministry um, as a part of their steering committee and one of their uh, blog contributors. And um, Rooted offers blogs and podcasts and um, a great conference and um, a whole curriculum on top of other things that's really um, rooted in the gospel and um, in grace. And so um, just highly recommend Them and their work as well.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for what you do with them. And uh, we're happy that you're joining us today. Uh, We also have Claire, uh, who is a youth worker a little further west. Uh, Claire, introduce yourself to our listeners today.
4: Hi, everybody. Yeah, I am currently serving at a church in Arvada, Colorado. Uh, I've been here for going into my sixth year. This is my sixth year serving there. And I'm the head of the youth ministry um, for that church. And then um, I'm really blessed to also get to partner with about 14 um, other churches all along the front range in Colorado and we put on um, retreats for junior high and high school kids uh, each year. Uh, So it's kind of cool to get to collaborate with those youth pastors as well.
2: Yeah, thanks Thanks for joining us. We're gonna keep going. Now we're gonna go Northwest from there. We're gonna go to Jess who is in in Canada.
1: Yes, hi everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I live in Abbotsford, BC, which is about an hour east of Vancouver. Um, just off the coast. Um, And so yeah, I'm grateful to connect with people from all over North America. Um, And I work in our high school ministries, um, particularly with our grade nine to 12 girls and our female youth leaders. So yeah, it is my joy. I love it.
2: And we got to know Jess through the Word and Youth Ministry podcast, and uh, it's been a joy to not only learn with Jess, but learn from her and her team, and uh, they're intentionally teaching students how to study the Bible right now, um, partially using David Helm's book, One to One Bible Reading. So yeah, thanks so much for joining joining us today. Now we are going to skip down, we're going to go south over America, and we're going to go down uh, to the country below us. We're going to go to Mexico. David, thank you for joining us today.
5: Yeah. Hi, everyone. Or as we say in Mexico, hola. I'm so excited. So thrilled to be here. It's an honor. Thank you so much for being by. Yeah. My name is David Correa, C-O-R-E-A. Or Correa, as we say in Mexico, uh, the double R, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe I'm the oldest. Uh, well, next to Dr. Mueller, right? But, uh, <laughs> I knew that I was going to come up. And- <laughs> I've been a pastor for uh, 30 years, and uh, and I've been serving uh, in youth ministry uh, for, yeah, 30 years also, and currently I, uh, besides being the pastor of Jesus Presbyterian Church in Progreso in the Yucatan, Mexico, um, I, I also teach at San Pablo Theological Seminary. But uh, uh, currently, I'm, the, I'm serving as the director and also professor of an organization called uh, the Next uh, Institute, the Next Institute in Mexico. It's a, it's a training program with workers. And um, so we're trying to uh, provide, uh, you know, training uh, and, well, uh, theological formation for youth ministries here in Mexico and also uh, even in, 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 in Central and South America. So it's a pleasure and honor to be here.
2: Thanks for joining us. We had the United States, Canada, Mexico. We have one more guest coming back close to where I am at right now, Northeast Ohio, Mike Terry. Thanks for joining us.
6: Yeah. Ending where it all began. Yeah. I, I, uh, my name is Mike Terry. Excited to be here as well. I serve at a church just down the road. uh, Well, not really down the road, about 30 minutes away from uh, Kyle here. I serve at Parkside green and I'm entering into my, about my fourth year serving as the head of junior and senior uh, high students. Um, yeah, so I've, I've actually known about CPYU in the ministry uh, for the last couple of years now. I've just always on the search for great content. Uh, and CPYU has always just been a great source of practical and helpful content of how to navigate and disciple students in today's culture. And then I met Kyle and Kyle had this connection with CPYU. So I ended up here. And so I'm just grateful to be here with you all. And I'm excited for this conversation.
2: Yeah, Mike. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Like you said, I I'm so glad when we first met, uh, and then we didn't talk. We didn't see each other for about two years, and then you knew what CPYU was, and uh, we're glad you're part of our cohort, and also glad uh, glad that you're with us today. So Walt, why don't you uh, transition us into this conversation? Sure. Um, and then we're going to start out with Carrie.
0: Yeah. So so I thought it would be interesting to, you know, put these ten commandments, which we're going to go through them, and and I, I think this is going to wind up being a two part podcast as well, so we'll get through five of them on this episode, but I thought it would be interesting to put them in front of these youth workers and, and have them each take one or two, to take two actually, and then we wanted them all to think about, you know, how have you seen what Michael Kruger is talking about here, how have you seen it pan out in your ministry, among your students, among your families, in the larger youth ministry world, in the church, in the culture, and we just thought it would be a good exercise uh, to have a conversation about this to help us all develop our ability to catch what the lies might be so that we might be better equipped to answer those lies with the truths of God's Word. So, Kyle, you said uh, we were going to start with Carrie. So I do want to correct something Carrie said. She said she's—it was interesting. She said 30 to 40 minutes above Boston. And notice how she gave that, like, 10-minute— it's act, it, it could actually be 90 minutes, right, Carrie, if the traffic's bad? So I'm familiar with where she's from. So I caught that. 25 to 90 minutes. 25 to 90 now. Okay, good. Wow, yes. that is a large yes, ring. Yes, it is. And I'm telling you, if you haven't been in Boston traffic, you've experienced nothing. So, all right. So, so uh, Carrie, why don't you, uh, you're going to kick us off. And, and uh, we're not actually going to go in the order that the commandments are, but uh, Laid out in in the book because they really don't they really I don't think they really flow in an order like we would understand uh, the Ten Commandments in the scriptures to flow. So we're just going to look at them one at a time and go ahead, Carrie, kick us off with what you uh, what you've got.
3: Sure. Um, So yeah, the first one that we're going to look at is actually the third in um, this book, and it states uh, the work of reconciliation should be valued over making judgments. Um, and this chapter kind of dives into um, really how humans relate and uh, interact with one another and the emphasis on um, kind of the human relationship among others. And it really places um, human relationships and making sure that everyone is okay and in Kumbaya with one another over, you um, You know what scripture says about what it means to be um, a good friend or um, what it means to to love one another, even, Um, and uh, he speaks a lot about how um, the church should do more to repair or to restore um, relationships and stop condemning people or uh, speaking to them in a way that uh, judges them. And that word judgment comes up time and time again in um, this chapter, in this section. Um, And as we look at that word um, reconciliation, it it almost seems like that word, um, the definition of that word is just misused in order to mean, um, putting, making sure everyone is okay and that nobody's feelings are hurt and that no one, um, feels, uh, like they're being called out about a behavior or an emotion or a response that they have over, um, you know, what, what that looks like. And there is, um, well, I appreciate in the beginning where you shared about, um, uh, the importance of recognizing a half truth it's easy to call something out and say um that's totally wrong <laughs> but as you read through there are pieces of this um, that that do have some truth and as uh, churches and as individuals that love and care for for teens and for one another um, Christians do need to be careful to show grace and have patience and love and care for one another. Um, but I guess the question rests with, um, you know, does that mean, does loving one another m- mean being complacent with someone doing something that goes against what scripture says? Um, so how do you lovingly, we had a good friend for a long time that instead of using the word confront, she would say care front. So how do we care front with one another, um, and, and do that well um, in in a way that that does show um, love and care for the individual that you're speaking with?
0: Uh, it's interesting to me because I think that you know when we think about relationships, yes, human relationships are important. We're made for relationships, and. And I think that you know everybody recognizes the need for this because our relationships are broken, like everything else in this world, you know, by sin, uh, by our human depravity, by our rebellion against God. But as you've brought out here, Carrie, I think we lean more into the horizontal, and we forget the vertical. And the horizontal relationships with each other always have to be, you know, you know, underneath. Let's say. The vertical and have to flow out of the proper vertical relationship between us and between God. And I like the way you bring up about the judgment issue because you know that's that's a mantra now, right? If you if you uh, challenge anybody, and by the way, it's funny when you, uh, you know, when you talk about how the way words are used. I, I shared with uh, a youth worker friend a few years ago at a conference that after a, a session, I I challenged someone to think about something and my friend looked at me and said, challenge? You can't challenge people in today's world. All you have to do is encourage them. And I'm thinking, no, I need to challenge them. You know, So um, you know, we can't, it's like we're not allowed to, to talk about any of the borders and boundaries that our loving God has established to you know, protect us from harm and provide for our well-being. And so we see this worked out in a variety of ways. And I'm curious with the other folks you know, how you've seen this uh, you know, work out in in your own ministry or any examples of this that you've seen or that you would advise us to be aware of, and you know, and start to look out for anybody. Oh, um, I
1: think what's oh, go ahead. What's Jess. interesting about this, um, what this topic is that I think so often in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew seven, Jesus talks about not letting or not judging. The speck in your brother's eye but looking at the log in your own um and i think well yes of course to follow jesus command um, of not casting judgment or unfair judgment on others and not walking as a hypocrite like it is jesus is also commanding for us to point out truth and to understand what yes we do have a log in our eye and yes we do have to um think about it and live in a life in life of repentance and forgiveness and working on the things that we're struggling with or that we're facing. But there is a call also to um, to speak truth and to point people to Christ ultimately.
2: Jess, and I, I was thinking similarly to what you said I, um, on page 18 in this book, it says the scriptures are packed with examples of God's people calling out certain behaviors as wrong. Jesus did this, Paul did this, And even we are called to do this, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And when we think about how uh, the current culture of students are today, we have uh, a sense that judgmentalism is wrong. And, And to some extent, right, we need to see this from the proper perspective, but from the biblical perspective, what is the goal of this? The goal of this is that people will be corrected and walk in a way that honors the Lord. So Claire, let's uh, let's go to you. What do you what do you think about this command?
4: I just think it's really important that we. I think we are in a culture that has a low tolerance um, uh, for uh, tension or for conflict, um, and we often can't be in conflict with another, with one another, or in tension with one another without kind of it being taken far beyond the actual issue that's on the table, but to a really personal place. And I think that part of the gift of scripture in the church. Um, is to be able to point to something that's separate from, or it's separate and connected to all of us. Like, Hey, this behavior that you're exhibiting, it's not me saying in my humble opinion, this is wrong. I'm looking at scripture and I'm saying like, it's not okay for you to be so angry all the time. Like, it's not okay for you to be, um, you know, quick to anger. And let's talk about that. And let me pray for you. And how can I support you in this way? But it's not my opinion coming in, you know, kind of crashing upon the speech being like, and this is my thought about why you're wrong. Um, I think we should be able to point to scripture and go in a loving and kind of even toned way to be like, I'm seeing your behavior here, not line up with what God has for us. And then to be able to receive that as well. Um, So I think as long as our um, kind of criticisms or one another are grounded in scripture, we should be able to tolerate that. And we should be able to point to where that's listed in scripture and receive that for ourselves as well.
2: And Claire, for our listeners, uh, parents, youth workers, pastors, even teachers who are thinking this and they they hear you say that, you know, have, uh, make sure it's grounded in scripture. Uh, practically, what has this looked like for you? I imagine the tone that you use when you address a teenager who uh, you're having these conversations, but would you have any tips for our listeners on how to address these conversations?
4: I think tone for sure is important. Um, I think patience, a lot of times when we're calling out a behavior, it's not gonna just go away uh, right kind of in the moment, it's gonna take time. And I think every single time a student comes into our classroom or um, we sit down to a family dinner or they come back to youth group, like we have to be prepared to meet them with grace, but then to like, you know, wipe the slate clean, like how you come in into this kind of interaction this time. Is I'm not I'm not keeping score, Uh, you know. I'm giving you the opportunity to show up in a fresh way, but again, to hold fast to that boundary. And then I think it's really important. I always tell my students, don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. So everything that I'm saying, um, and everything that I'm holding as truth, I should be able to point to in not just one passage. There should be a thread um, that I can show the student um, or the parent that I'm talking to, or the leader that I'm talking to about why I came to that conclusion. And I think seeing it for ourselves and then holding that with boundary and grace is really important. Yeah,
2: I think that's that's so helpful um, for our listeners today. Let's, uh, uh, since we want to get through five of these today let's conclude this one, but let's go. Mike, why don't you give some feedback and then Carrie, why don't you wrap this commandment up and then Walt will move us forward in the conversation.
6: Yeah, just really quick piggybacking off of this. i was just thinking of like You know, when we're trying to talk about, you know, we, the positive part of this is that we are called to be reconcilers, right? Paul talks about us being, uh, having a ministry of reconciliation, but that as Walt was saying earlier, that assumes that there's something that we are reconciling towards or to, right? And so to be under um, what Walt was saying is sort of the cross in the sense, and I I just remember a, a quick story um I, I had a professor who told me this story one time where there was two two gentlemen in his congregation who were feuding in this conflict everybody knew about it it was kind of tearing apart in some ways and communion was coming up and the pastor met with both of these gentlemen and said um you know before you take communion i want you to reconcile with one another and They were both on opposite ends ends of the sanctuary and before communion, they both got up and like embraced in the middle and it was like a really emotional moment and then they took communion together. I think that's a a good image or practical idea of like we're going towards something together and that is Jesus Christ in our reconciliation efforts.
3: That's great and I think um, as we Uh, speak and teach and walk alongside students, Claire, just like you said, the importance of of teaching this from scripture. I think about the voices that our students are hearing um, from their peers, from other adults in their life, and from, you know, TV and media and everything else that they have. It's not teaching. (laughs) Um, The importance of... You know reconciliation and it's teaching that um you know there's really a um a badness and a brokenness to lovingly coming alongside someone as scripture calls us to do and so how do we even um work through and teach and uh, reframe their maybe thoughts on even what some of those definitions are of judgment and of reconciliation
0: Mm. what does that
3: even look like for for kids
0: this is so good and and i want to say you know as i'm listening to you all on this uh this is not easy work right um it's it's difficult enough because we're broken people interacting with other broken people and then now we add to it the con the context of uh, a world that frowns upon this you know and really looks down upon it and, and I would say just a couple of thoughts. One would be, I think we have to be open to this and really seeking this in our own lives. Uh, you know, I need it. Uh, we all need it. And it doesn't matter how far along you are in your, uh, your journey in Christ and, and your journey of sanctification. But, you know, we, we all need this and we need people who will work to hold us accountable. And I love how in youth ministry we're uniquely poised in the context of relationships uh, to be able, you know, to do this. I do think as well that if we lean into, um, you know, this this bent of progressive Christianity and we wind up just affirming everything, you know, we're affirming everything, we're going to get to the point where when it comes time to call somebody out or to, to, I'll use the word challenger, to confront or to steer someone away from something that is, you know, destructive and sinful, uh, we've backed ourselves into a corner and it, it's it's really hard, you know, to to get out of there. And so there's a big difference. I mean, this judgment conversation is big. What well, we always say there's a big difference between judgment, but I think as, as you all have pointed out, and as the book, Michael Kruger's book points out, you know, the scriptures are written to help us discern right from wrong. So there's a big difference between judgment, which is more condemnation, I guess we would say, which that's God's business, but more. Uh, a discerning kind of judgment that's really meant to lead people in the right direction. Um, I, think we're, I think it's time to take a break. We're going to take a little break and when we come back we're going to hit uh, two more commandments here and uh, continue our conversation. So stick with us. We'll be right back on Youth Culture Matters. <music> Tens of thousands of kids have been trained by their parents and youth workers to think Christianly about music and media with our How to Use Your Head to Guard Your Heart 3D Guide to Making Wise Media Choices. This easy-to-use teaching tool needs to be in your youth ministry toolbox if you desire to teach your students to integrate their faith into all of life. Jesus calls us to follow Him, and that includes following Him into the six to nine hours a day of screen time that shape and mold the beliefs and behaviors of our kids. To learn more about our 3D Media Evaluation Guide, And to order a copy for every member of your youth group, go to our website at cpyu.org. Teach your kids to engage with media to the glory of God. Well, welcome back to Youth Culture Matters. We're having a discussion among friends here, youth working friends who have read through Michael Kruger's very helpful little book. It's not a long one and and that's one reason why we are thrilled to recommend it because it's it's not super long but it's super meaty and super relevant. It's called The 10 Commandments of Progressive Christianity. We we want to be wise to what's happening not only in the culture of the world but how the culture of the world is coming into the church and I truly believe that that's part of what progressive Christianity is and it's draining. Um, draining the gospel with, with, as Kruger says, you know, half-truths. And uh, we said earlier, you know, a half-truth is, is more dangerous than a complete lie. And this is why we need to be diligent in studying Scripture and studying theology and, and doing this not only individually as we read and learn, but in community with each other, and that's part of what's happening here. So, uh, Kyle, you... you um, you actually are using this little book. I was really thrilled to hear this with students. You just
2: started that. Yeah, well, I was uh, uh, talking with other youth workers last week, and one of them told me that students won't read today. And I couldn't disagree more with that statement because I think that not all students will read theology books, but I think some will. And uh, I, yeah, I read this uh, with a group of four high school students and one college student. Uh, they read, we just had our first meeting on this book. They're thrilled because the last book we read, which I thought was very helpful, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever, the chapters were about as long as this whole book. So they were happy. Uh, we did the first two commandments on Sunday morning and just had really good discussion in my office before church. Uh, I do have a, a little rule in my head. If kids are willing to read theology b- Theology books. I'm willing to buy them donuts before church. So that's what I do. I go to Dunkin' Donuts, buy donuts. We discuss it, and uh, yeah, I would just suggest uh, to our listeners, not all will read, but some will, and I'm convinced that that culture can spread uh, to others in the mm. youth group. So let's let's continue in here. Uh, we're gonna go down to our friend in Mexico. David is gonna take us into what in the book is page. 21, the fourth commandment, uh, and then we'll discuss this and then move on to another one. So, David, uh, take us to number four.
5: Yeah, thank you. But uh, before, uh, if you will, just allow me to, uh, you know, give a little disclaimer here. Um, uh, This is for our listeners. Uh, You will have to put up with my broken English. But as I say, it's broken English spoken perfectly. (laughs) The only thing I regret is is that uh, uh, this is not an you know, uh, because, uh, I mean, uh, I, regret it. I regret it because Chris is not going to be able to subtitle, you know, my... <laughs> when I, but anyway, uh, the third commandment, uh, gracious behavior is more important than right belief. Uh, Dr. Kruger mentions uh, that progressive Christianity is largely defined by, by its focus on morality and its downplaying of doctrine. What truly matters, they say, is not what we believe, but how we behave. Thus, the fourth commandment of progressive Christianity is gracious behavior is more important than right belief. And as he says, it is important that we understand that gracious behavior should characterize the church. However, though, there is some common ground with what progressive Christians uh, believe uh, in this regard. Uh, that is, that we must note that there are several. Uh, I, I mean, even though that's the case, uh, we must uh, note that there is there are several concerns that arise from this, as Dr. Truger says. Uh, number one, priorities of over orthology. This, of course, uh, is well received in today's culture because uh, one of the trends, if you will. Uh, that we see in emerging generations is their disdain and even rejection of doctrinal standards, such as creeds or confessions or catechisms. What's more, as Dr. Kruger says, there's the idea that those who care about theology are divisive, narrow, dogmatic, and even mean. Well, progressive Christians, uh, he says, tend to compare people who care about theology with the Pharisees or to the Pharisees, whose problem, we are told, was their fixation on orthodoxy and their misguided quest for theological purity. In other words, if you care about theology, you're probably just another Pharisee. But the problem with Pharisees was not according to Jesus that they were not concerned with orthodoxy. Their problem was legalism, man-made rules which take up uh, then over God's law and hypocrisy. Well, the problem was not theology per se, the problem was bad theology as Dr. Kruger uh, says. Well, he also makes a very important point. Teaching people good theology is not the problem, but actually it is the solution. Because good theology, he says, comforts and liberates people, but bad theology harms people and that's exactly what the Pharisees did. Second, it is really uh, he has this question: Is it really is it really true that behavior is more important than theology? And he talks about this false dichotomy, uh, the, the dichotomy, you know, between uh, well, theology and behavior. And well, that comes that. False dichotomy actually comes from a wrong understanding of what theology really is. Uh, I like how John Frame defines or describes theology. Uh, He says, and this is just a summary of this. He says that theology is the application of the word of God to all areas of life. So theology is really, is actually more than orthodoxy, right thought or right belief. It is also orthopraxis, right behavior, and even orthopathos, which is right feelings. A good theology is always applied to life. It changes how we think. It changes how we behave and even how we feel. But truth be told, sometimes in the church in general and youth ministry in particular, we tend to overemphasize one over the others. And in reform circles, we may be guilty sometimes of overemphasizing theology. I'm sorry, overemphasizing orthodoxy.
0: Say, say that again, David. You just broke so up a little bit. Can you yep. say that again? You in reform circles, oh, so, we sorry. tend to
5: overemphasize orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Yes. Uh, what I mean is is that, uh, for example, in discipleship. Uh, when it comes to discipleship, uh, we see that in, in in our reform circle, sometimes this discipleship is reduced to gaining doctrinal knowledge, you know, gaining you know knowledge. so as as someone says, our kids uh, look like phone calls, mobile heads, you know big heads, little bodies, you know, and, and, and that's that's exactly how our kids sometimes end up with when we approach discipleship in, in this way. But we also find, that the progressive uh, Christianity idea that behavior is more important than doctrine is becoming more popular here, even here in Mexico and accepted. So what you have is many churches and youth ministries uh, uh, that say, or better said, what you have in many churches or in many youth ministries is what I call the John Lennon Christianity. You know, all you need is love, you know. All you need is love, uh, Christianity. But according to the Apostle John, for example, and the entire Bible, for that matter, uh, John, in his epistle, says that it, that uh, that is a wrong view of Christianity. As a matter of fact, John gives us three standards by which we identify a true Christian. It's a true Christian, he says, is someone who believes the truth. That would be orthodoxy, right? A true Christian would be also someone who practices righteousness, that would be orthopraxis. And a true Christian is someone who loves God and neighbor, that is orthopathos. If if you're a nice person, a loving person, a caring person even, but you don't believe the truth, you're not a true Christian. And, and, and finally, you know, the, the idea that ungracious behavior has its roots in a misguided quest for doctrinal purity, but simply it is wrong. The problem is not theology. The problem, as Dr. Kruger says, is bad theology. A theology that overemphasizes orthodoxy over behavior is a bad theology, but a theology that ignores orthodoxy or prioritizes Behavior over orthodoxy is also bad theology. And furthermore, uh, you you never get grace from behavior. Moralism never creates gracious hearts. The Pharisees were a living proof of that. Grace is not something uh, that we get by trying harder as uh, progressive Christianity teaches, right? It is something we receive by believing the the truth, the truth about Jesus, the gospel. So I don't think we need less theology in youth ministry. We actually need more theology in youth ministry, but more good, sound theology.
0: Hmm. You know, I, I, that's good. I, very helpful. And I was writing, taking notes here. Uh, you just took us to school. That was so good. I love that. You know, it's obvious that you teach and you teach well. But, I, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know, Uh, conversations I've had with some youth ministry leaders over the years who when we jump into this conversation they're hesitant to have it because they say look I'm not concerned about theology I don't don't do theology and the reality is and you alluded to this that practice is or behavior is always downstream from theology and you're going to have theology whether you're thinking about it consciously. Or not, and look, I want to have good theology that meshes with the scriptures, rather than sort of a wishy-washy theology that just doesn't happen because I'm saying I'm not thinking about it. Because even though I'm not thinking about it, I will be, you know, I will be doing it. I'm curious, to, with the rest of the folks, how, you know, how some of you have seen this work out. Um, you know, I, I, one thing I'm thinking of that came to mind for me, and then we'll let you fill in some, some uh, gaps as well in terms of what you're seeing, but, you know, curriculum, when we choose a curriculum to teach to our students, uh, you know, for example, curriculums can teach the Bible, but do they lean more into moralistic stories or do they take us deeper into our, our, our understanding of who God is and who we are? and who we've been called to be, and a lot of people don't think about that. We we default to what's the most attractive curriculum, what's going to be, you know, uh, plug-and-play curriculum, and I think we need to be thinking more about what kind of curriculum really takes us deep into the Scriptures and has us looking first at who God is, and then, you know, out of that, who we've been called to be. So, uh, Claire, Claire, do you have your hand up? Yes. Yes.
4: Yeah. I personally don't use curriculum. Um, We, in our program, we'll just read a passage of scripture. And sometimes we go through like a theme or sometimes we're just going through a book of the Bible, but we'll look at a passage of scripture. And then we go, what does it say about God? What does it say about me? What is my response to this? Um, But we just kind of, I ask kids, like, tell me what just happened in this passage. Like we're really trying to equip them to understand that they can discern scripture for themselves and that they don't need one or two little kind of verses and then like a guided talk that they can read scripture and then, and get the, um, kind of content delivered from, for themselves. And I just so appreciate hearing other people articulate that it always has to be like coming to know Jesus, coming to see Jesus for who he is falling in love with Jesus. And from that place, deciding to follow him and live a life in accordance to his word and, and to his call for us, as opposed to saying this is what Jesus says you're supposed to do. You have to do these things. And then maybe eventually you'll know him. Like first John makes it so clear. Like if you know him, you're going to love him. And if you love him, you're going to follow him. And it has to be delivered that way. Otherwise we're just kind of asking kids to this behavior modification that they're going to drop the second they're not forced to come to youth group anymore. And um, and I think we're really missing an incredible opportunity to to teach kids, um, a love for Christ. Like the disciples followed Jesus even to the point of death because they loved him and they believed him to be who he said he was. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, a power of the gospel that we're missing if we don't equip them to, to discern that for themselves.
0: What about, you know, David mentioned, um, and not all of us are you know from a reformed background but he mentioned reformed theology that's where i'm rooted i know that's where david's rooted some of the, some of the others of you are as well you know we we lean heavily uh, over the course of history into creeds and catechisms and sometimes when we mention creeds and catechisms outside of our reformed circles especially in the youth ministry world there's sometimes this scoffing, you know, like, Oh, that's so old or kids aren't you know, like Kyle said, kids aren't gonna do that, like they're not gonna read, they're not gonna be or, you know, like we gotta liven it up in our service. Why would we say those things, you know, recite those things every week and, and I think, you know, they're so rich. Like even this morning, you know, we had a situation in our family and we have a family texting loop and and I, you know, spoke into the situation through the texting loop by loop by simply passing on um, question one and the answer to question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. You know, what is my comfort and my only comfort in life and death? And man, that's just, it's just so rich to remind us. So I don't know if any of you are
2: doing that. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that you brought that up because as we've been discussing, and as David so helpfully pointed out, that uh, belief informs our behavior and I think a lot of people um, today get afraid of the word catechism because a lot of things that have been attached to it over time. But I know in my own, in my own uh, student ministry team here this morning, we had a conversation about a middle schooler who put her faith in Christ likely in the past two weeks. That's how uh, she communicates it. And she's able to communicate certain things now uh, about what she believes. And I'm pretty sure the reason why she can is because her parents have intentionally catechized her or led her to, to have a vocabulary about what Christians believe. And they were giving her that vocabulary before the belief actually took place. So now that she believes, she's able to communicate it well. And I would just encourage our listeners uh, today, as, as David helpfully pointed out, um, the importance on belief before, um, that informs our behavior. Catechism is not an enemy of the church in the 21st century. Catechism is a tool that is helpful. Kyle,
0: would you just explain to people who might not be familiar, you, you use some phraseology, her parents catechized her.
2: Yeah. So catechism is, I would say, an ancient. Uh, over over uh, centuries, people have used catechism, usually in a question and answer type thing. So uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is one that's used today. The Gospel Coalition has one, um, usually where you'd ask a question, um, and then uh, the answer is uh, the, the kid would say the answer. And so they're uh, memorizing Christian doctrines, but I don't even uh, think today it has to be questions or answers. Uh, I'm working through, uh, I have a two and a half year old daughter. She uh, is just learning how to talk. We read Kevin DeYoung's uh, uh, greatest story, ABCs. Uh, we've read it night after night. And my daughter who doesn't even know words knows that Jesus Christ died upon a tree. And three days later, God raised him up from the dead. She has no idea what that means, but through this catechism practice, I pray one day God will open her, her eyes to truth, and she will truly know that Jesus died upon a tree, and three days later, God raised her up, him up from the dead. So this is just something I would encourage our listeners to check out more of. And I want to go up. Uh, let's go to Jess, uh, and then uh, David, why don't you wrap this command up after Jess?
1: Um, And I think this is a really important conversation in the fact that even knowledge is not the end goal, but it's worship. And I don't think we can worship someone who we don't know. I don't think we can worship a God who we're not familiar with to know what he loves and to know um, what he hates. And I think uh, if we're wanting to raise our students up to be filled with the awe and wonder of who God is, his work on the cross, his um, sovereign hand in the story of like the biblical narrative, we need to teach them who he actually is in order for them to worship and the true God, or else they're going to end up worshiping a God made in their own image. And so I think that's where the importance of orthodoxy and orthopraxy come into So The goal is not for them to be living moral lives, but it is that they live a life of worship and awe and wonder um, of who Jesus is.
2: Oh, that's so helpful. Jess. I, and I would just say to our listeners again, if the, if the term orthodoxy and orthopraxy is new, um, d- don't be afraid of these big words. These are theological words that help guide us to think clearly about what God's word says. Uh, David, can you wrap this command up and then we're going to move on uh, Move on to a
5: different one? Yes, thank you. And thank you, Jess, for that for that comment. A uh, couple of things real quick. Uh, uh, I don't know if you agree with me, but uh, uh, even here in Mexico, I find that emerging generations uh, exhibit a you know, more and more uh, disdain, uh, they dislike uh, doctrinal standards. Um, and maybe that's because of, of uh, well, using uh, Dr. Mueller's uh, metaphor, the, the, the cultural soup they've been swimming in. You know, in. Uh, you know the, the, the trend that we find today uh, in emerging generations, uh, the ultimate authority is you. I mean, the idea of conforming yourself, of submitting to a standard of doctrine as a, as an authoritative form to, to rule over me or to, to tell me what to believe, that's something that is despised more and more. And like I said, as I said, uh, even here in Mexico. And, and, and well, uh, lastly, also wanted to point to uh, a couple of good resources that, that I have found uh, very helpful. Um, well, uh, number one is... Uh, well, Dr. John Fesco's, uh book, uh, *The Creedal*. I, mean, I mean, the need for creeds today. The need for creeds today is a great, it's a great book. And also, well, Carl Truman. I mean, Carl Truman. That's it, right? Anything that Carl <laughs> Truman says, you know, I don't need to say any, anything else. Anyway, Carl Truman's *The Creedal Imperative* is, a, is another great resource. I uh, Just wanted to to, to suggest those uh, resources to you.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll throw one more in, and that's. Uh... Uh, Stephen Kang and Gary Parrott have a book called um, Teaching the Faith and Forming the Faithful, and Chris Wagner will post all of these uh, resources that are mentioned in the player notes for this particular episode. Mike, let's move to you, and uh, you're going to help us understand another one of these commandments.
6: Sure. Yeah, thanks. So uh, I have command number five in the book, and the command is uh, for progressive Christians is inviting questions is more valuable than supplying answers. And uh, I think Kruger here says that one of the sort of hallmarks of progressive theology is to prioritize sort of the journey of asking questions and our doubts over and above landing on solid answers. Uh, In fact, actually Kruger says if there's one sort of hallmark um, of progressive thought, it might be this one. Uh, which i think is interesting and telling i think it's because it makes it all about the journey and it kind of allows for this unlimited possibility of self-discovery versus sort of being hemmed in by what uh david was just helpfully explaining by like doctrinal standards or dogma um and i think a popular way we've heard this in our culture is you know it's not about the destination it's about the journey and that's sort of just ingrained and stamped in our brains but For the Christian, it's both, right? It's both. Uh, We are pilgrims right? traveling on a journey on our way to an eternal home. While we are traveling, we will still have questions, struggles, doubts, but we are committed to the fact that there are answers found to these deeply personal questions in the person ultimately of Jesus Christ. So I love the way G.K. Chesterton puts it. If you haven't read orthodoxy, I'd suggest you do. Uh, He says it like this, as he often does, just in a a clever quip, he says, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. And I think as youth workers today in this context of sort of the internal journey of discovery, we really do need to remind students that there are, there is an answer. There's a destination to some of these questions we're struggling. They're not easy. They're not easy fixes and questions. And actually that brings me to the, another helpful point that Kruger brings out is that Kruger recognizes that the church and a lot of sort of circles in um, the West has failed in this, right? He points out that one of the reasons for this sort of movement towards endless doubting, um, as James talks about the sort of being on the waves of this sort of endless doubts right being tossed to and fro one of the reasons for this is because a lot of christian circles have discouraged or disincentivized honest questions from from people maybe students especially truly seeking answers about god and his word and um i think that's true i think sometimes there's been times where we get and get we give cliche answers and we don't really respect um the person who's really struggling with this and we we say, you know, to doubt is to sin, and that's not true. That's not necessarily biblical. And so, um, I think we have part of the blame here, and we need to rectify that and um, try to figure out how to navigate a better way. Um, and Kruber ultimately says that there is a there's a, a deep irony here in this progressive commandment, right? And the irony is that in saying in saying something like, "Hey, there's no final truth; you can just sort of question for eternity," that is ultimately trying to what he calls smuggling in certainty through the back door um you know thinking of an example that I, i've experienced this in when i was in college i went to an evangelical christian school um, that was committed to the gospel um but one of the they had, we had these sort of chapel credits and one of the chapel credits that i went to and i attended was something called doubters anonymous uh, that the name itself should have warned me probably not to go but um, doubters anonymous and you know what i thought it was be is going to be asking really deep hard questions and trying to arrive at conclusions together as a group but really what it was is um it was this sort of endless questioning and doubting and when somebody would try to say hey i really think god has showed me this in his word or in my experience or he's revealed this to me would they would act that person who claimed that would be ostracized truly like they would say no you can't say that because that's you don't really truly know that that's the case and that really bothered me and stuck with me i didn't really have the words to process that then but i think that's sort of um some of the the priority of our culture today and so yeah i think um I'd, I'd be really curious to hear your guys's thoughts on this commandment in particular and how you guys have seen it used because um i think it's a problem because as we're, as youth workers, when we're up there proclaiming, like, no, that like, here's the gospel, here's the truth, here's the good news, here's what the Bible says, um, it's almost met with immediate barrier of resistance, so.
0: Hmm.
2: Thanks for sharing that, Mike, uh, and it is fascinating, like you were just talking about the doubters and uh, how, uh, when we claim things, I know one thing that we always want to be focusing on, as we've already been discussing, is that our foundation has to be the word of God. And so that as you're in conversations like that, as our listeners are having these conversations, I think that um, always knowing that uh, we can be sure if we stand on the word, we can't be sure if we're giving our opinion, if we're giving our experience, but we can be sure on the word. Uh, Carrie, I know we've had a previous conversation about uh, just students in your ministry who are just struggling through some questions about sexuality and gender and what that looks like, and even them uh, finding different resources to try to um, back up what they believe. I'm just wondering if you could help the parents and youth workers listening, uh, even grandparents, as they're trying to navigate how their grandkids are thinking through this stuff, how you've been able to um, not just, uh, as this uh, chapter says, not just inviting questions, but actually giving solid answers.
3: Sure. Um, I really wrestled with um, this chapter, um, partially because exactly what you were just saying, Kyle, it just feels like this is what we're in the thick of right now, but also wondering, you know, if for um, this kind of generation and group of progressive Christians, if there's, um, if these questions are more valuable than answers, then where does that put um, scripture being truth and scripture having the final word and um, being the, the final answer in our lives and in our, you know, as part of our faith? Um, and I think it, if we can teach students about the supremacy and the um, authority and the truth of scripture and teach that well then you know when there are answers uh, or sorry when there are questions um you know we can uh, with certainty find the answers in scripture um, but that can't be done if they're only willing to ask questions and not seek that that answer as well.
2: Yeah, and I think one thing that your answer just did for us is I think it, hel- it helped me realize how these 10 commandments uh, of progressive Christianity are all tied together, right? What you just said, tied back to what David shared uh, in the last commandment about belief needs to drive our behavior. And so many students, when we're thinking about questions and answers, they're looking for answers by asking questions, but they're not starting at the right place, and as youth workers, I, I know um, that Cameron Cole, who helps lead Rooted that you talked about earlier, uh, we recently had him on the Word in Youth Ministry. And one thing he was just he was helping us understand is like we're playing the long game here with students where like not only the long game of like these students are going to be adults eventually, but like these students who are sitting in our youth group, even the immature middle school students who we might wish didn't come, they're going to one day stand before Christ. And they're going to one day stand before Christ. And we have a captive audience right now. So I just want to encourage uh, youth workers out there with this captive audience, as Mike just shared, um, we're able to help um, not only by teaching them, but modeling for them. Um, what we want them to know, and what what does this look like for you? Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, I, I I'm I'm thinking about some things Mike said there, and I love how he said, you know, there is he used the word destination, right? Because we're all on a journey, right? We're all broken, and we're all looking to find redemption. We're all looking for the answer to what it is that ails us, and you know, most people in today's world can't really put that into words, and especially. Our students, they don't—but do, but we can look at them and we can know. You know, as, as Blaise Pascal said, there is that God-shaped vacuum in, inside of everybody. And we know what that vacuum is, you know, generating energy for in an effort to be filled. And so we have that, you know, we have that answer. I mean, how, how would we—I mean, how could we even feel good about being in youth ministry if we see kids sort of driving, you know, willy-nilly everywhere on this journey— and, and we don't step in and say, ask him, you know, where are you going? What are you, what are you trying to get to? Or, you know, even say, point in the right direction and say, you know, that's where your destination is. Now, Mike said something else that I think is important that we have to recognize that is something we face all the time. And that is, you know, as he went to that group when he was in college, anybody who spoke up with truth or would make a truth claim, they get shut down. And we're going to face that in today's world. So I'm just going to offer this as a as a possibility that, you know, and I've learned this just in interactions with people in my own family, you know, and then with kids as well, uh, and with doubters, you know, or skeptics about the faith, is that is that, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he used this. He would say, you know, you have heard it said that, but I, but then I tell you. And so I think we could use that same language, you know, you've heard it said that, Life is all about the journey or, you know, choose a topic, you know, whether it's our students, like you said, uh, Kyle with Carrie with kids questioning matters of sexuality and gender. You have heard it said that, you know, you choose your identity. You decide who you are. You, you know, your journey or your gender is what's inside of you and what you feel. Well, OK, that's what the culture is telling you. But and then we say, here's another way of looking at it. And we take them into the scriptures and we lay out the kingdom priority. And all we do is we say, consider this and trust God's Spirit then to do the work that God's Spirit has promised to do. So it's, it's, it's giving them an opportunity to, to see the contrast between, um, you know, the, 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 the question and what the culture's saying to them uh, as an answer and then the real answer. So I think that's really good. Hey, this is great. We're going to take one more break, come back, finish up with, uh, with two more of these commandments. I'm loving this. So stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. I often hear grandparents say how glad they are that they don't have to raise kids in today's world. While these comments might not be very encouraging to those of us who are parents or who are doing youth ministry with kids today, they do recognize the fact that there are lots of confusing and dangerous cultural realities that kids need to navigate if they are going to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. In an effort to provide parents and youth workers with an easy-to-use tool designed to help kids find their way through the choices they face in today's world, I've written a new little book that can be used individually or in small groups, A Student's Guide to Navigating Culture. It's the shortest book I've ever written, but it's the one I believe will have the greatest impact in terms of discipling the emerging generations. If you want to teach your kids how to live in today's culture while following God's will and way, check out this new little book, A Student's Guide to Navigating Culture. You can learn more and order copies at cpyu.org. Okay, so we've got two more of these Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity that Michael Kruger writes about in his book, and I want to jump right into the, the last two. Let's go to Jess first. And Jess, uh, what, what, what was it that you read that you, uh, you want to share with us?
1: So I was assigned chapter one which is um the title is Jesus is a model is a model for living more than an object for worship so I'll just say it again Jesus is a model for living more than an object for worship um, and then I thought I would summarize this in two parts just to try to break it up to clarify it so first talking about so if we are to take this commandment that Jesus is only a moral guide as um, some in progressive trish, uh, circles are saying that Jesus is. Um, I think that can be seen as just a harmless claim of, yeah, he has good things to say. He did a lot of good things when he was at earth. He healed people. He was kind to the poor. He was kind to the oppressed. He um, called out those who were hypocrites. Like, I think that can be an easy thing that this is just a harmless path to continue on. But um, if we follow that, if he's only a moral guide who's telling us what we can do and what we um, what our path should be, um, he says it pretty clearly in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.20. He says this, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness succeeds, the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, so in that verse, he points to the fact that um, unless you will your righteousness succeeds, the scribes and the Pharisees, which it won't which is impossible to do, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, which opens up the fact that um, his people need a savior, that all people need a savior, one who will do that um, for us and who whose righteousness will cover our unrighteousness and our um, yeah, our disobedience. So I think where this commandment is concerning and where it's difficult is the fact if we take away Jesus's divinity, if we take away his the fact that he is God's only son, who is perfect, who came to earth to, um, take our place, then, um, what does it matter that he died on the cross? What does his atonement even mean? If he is only someone like a youth leader or, um, a friend or a parent who has some good things to say, but not as totally authoritative in our life, then I don't think that we have much hope in the Christian walk. Um, if he's not truly the son of God, if he is not someone who's worthy of our worship. Um, so some examples that I, have, um, that I was thinking about is that I think, um, I think students, and I think we do this and we're, yeah, I think people in general, it's very easy to pick and choose what commandments and what things to focus on. Um, it's easy to follow things that seem palatable to us of sure, helping the poor and, um, and the oppressed and the outcast and seeking better and loving others, um, more important than your own. But then we, we are not the ones who can choose what commandments we can disregard because we also learn that he is the only way to heaven, and that if you want to follow him, you must deny yourself, um, and so I think that's where this commandment falls short, is the fact that we can't just pick and choose um, what we want him to say, and then what our response is, because if we believe Christianity true, if we believe scripture is sufficient, then we know that um, you know, that he is a son of God who is worthy of our worship, um, and it is, and he is worthy of being authoritative in our life that what he says goes. Um, so yeah, those are kind of my um, initial thoughts. I'd love to hear more um, and spitball some more ideas of how this is being played out um, in different youth ministries as well.
0: Yeah. I, I'd love to hear if anybody else have, has anything to say to that. Thank you, Jess. That is good. And I, as you were speaking there, I, I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, you know, this is like the half truth part, right? We're called to follow Jesus following the footsteps of Jesus you know to be <laughs> Christ-like in in all that we do, and uh, thanks for the soundtrack, whoever provided it, that was great. Um, but then when I, I was I was happy you brought in the uh, issue of the atonement because as you were talking, I'm thinking about you know we just recent rather recently celebrated Easter. I was reading through uh, John Stott, the theologian, his book The Cross of Christ, and in there he talks about the different theories of the atonement, and there's one. If you're not familiar with it, you know you brought this to mind, Jess, with what you said, the, it, and this commandment, right? The moral influence theory—that that's what was accomplished at the at the cross through the death of Jesus—was that, you know, it's a it's an influence now that we need to follow in terms of our of our behavior. Now, there's more to that theory than that, obviously, but that's where it really it it really uh, meshes with what what you were talking about, Mike. You were going to say something.
6: Yeah, just what you're with that chapter and what you shared just reminded me of C.S. Lewis's famous argument, the liar, lunatic, or Lord argument. And I think what he says there is basically like, if, you know, you can't make the claim that Jesus is only or merely sort of moral exemplar guide or spiritual guru, because if you look at the things that Jesus claimed about himself, um, that he is the only way that he is, the son of man and that he came from heaven he's going back to the father that he's come to rise again like all of these things he he immediately becomes either a lunatic or a liar right um and so he's no longer a good moral guide if he's one of those things so even on its own premises that argument uh, that he's only or merely a moral guide falls apart because um he can't be a good moral guide if he if there are things that he truly claimed Um, And they turn out to be false right these sort of more divine miraculous aspects of the nature of Christ, and so um, I think pointing that out to students is a really helpful thing. um, Because they that that argument sort of crumbles.
2: Yeah, and I know recently, Mike, thanks for sharing that recently, uh, it's just become common to look at Jesus only as an example, right? I I read something recently, an advertisement for something, and it's easy to think about that Jesus was born into a, uh, a world that had political turmoil or Jesus was born into, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. But Mike, what you were pointing at, I think is super helpful because if Jesus wasn't the savior of the world, then he was a liar and then he wasn't actually right who he said he was, he couldn't have just been a good moral teacher. And so uh, that's why I'm so glad Kruger used this as commandment number one in the book. Uh, because I think it sets the foundation similar to how the first commandment in the 10 commandments in the Bible in Exodus is you shall have no other gods before me, right? That sets the agenda for everything else. I feel like this argument of Jesus being just a good moral example sets the agenda for everything off because even one degree off of the bible is enough to set the trajectory for a lifetime away from what the scripture teaches so carrie uh what what are your thoughts on this and then jess if you have any follow-up just to wrap this one up and then we'll move forward
3: um kyle just what you said i just want to piggyback off of like if jesus is just an example you know how dangerous that is and i think about um our students and ourselves how um idolatry is such an issue for us and the amount of times in a day and a week, you know, that we place things higher than, than Jesus. And um, if he's just a model and not something to worship, then that's really not an issue then. And I don't have to worry about that. But, and so that is just such a um, leap of who God and, you know, of who Jesus is and thinking about um, just the that route that you can take of, well, I don't really have to worry if I'm prioritizing these things above my relationship with Jesus because, you know, he's just a good guy and I'll, I'll follow his example when it works for me. Um, and just what a slippery slope that is for us.
1: Yeah, Carrie, I thought that was a big um, emphasis of this chapter of that. Ultimately, we need to decide if we think Jesus is God or not, and if he has the say or not. And then if we do, then that means everything that he has said, everything that he has commanded and taught in his life and how we are to walk in obedience needs to um, be followed. And it needs to be obeyed. Um, but if, yeah, if we're not saying that he is God, then that's another, then that's another topic, but there's no in between. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got from this chapter.
2: Yeah. Th- thanks for leading this so chapter, good. Jess. And I think that uh, one of the things that just encourages me as we transition to the last one is here, we are we are geographically, other than Mike and myself, we are geographically spread out over North America. But what we see here is the, the most important thing isn't our context where we're at, but it's what the Bible actually teaches. So I might communicate differently to a student here uh, than David might in Mexico or Jess might in Canada, or of course, how Carrie might in Boston, but... <laughs> What is most important is not how we say it or the examples that we use, but it's what the Bible teaches, Um, because although culture changes, God's word does not change. And that leads us uh, into where we are here. Chapter seven, the last one we're going to discuss on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. We're going to go to Claire, who's in Colorado. And I I think this is uh, maybe the pinnacle um, of the Ten Commandments because it has to do with the church. Uh, chapter seven, meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. So Claire, why don't you lead us in this last one?
4: Yes, thank you. So uh, his argument here um, that he kind of pulls from Gully's text is very layered. So I did my best to separate it into three initial points, and I think we have three kind of responses. So Great. first, um Gully is just in general really disillusioned with the institution of the church, and he's skeptical of Organization uh, or organized religions in general. Um, And he claims that most Christians are kind of unaware of the flaws of the church or they're actively ignoring them, which I thought to be interesting because I feel like most people that love and serve the church are kind of aware of the things about it that are hard um, and the things about it that need repair. Uh, But he referenced uh, kind of this concern with the culture of the church as well that it can be stingy, that it can be ingrown, that it can be. Um, kind of having a bad and flawed and potentially even damaging corporate culture. Um, And so that's kind of point number one, like the culture is wrong, and we shouldn't trust organized religion. The second argument he makes is that the church is not fulfilling its purpose. And he explicitly believes the purpose of the church to be this horizontal purpose, one that is focused on how people relate to people. So how is the church um responding to need in the community how is the church Um, feeding the hungry befriending the lonely loving the enemy and healing the sick which of course was something that jesus himself modeled uh, for us and is something that the church is called to do but he neglects to kind of reference any kind of vertical purpose uh which kruger identifies as the way that people relate to god so there's no mention of the church being a place where people come and worship uh come and learn god's word come and engage in study Um, It's a purely uh, horizontal purpose, and it's one that the church is not fulfilling. And the third uh, argument that he makes is that the church is dispensable or disposable or um, kind of irrelevant, and that Jesus himself didn't give the church much thoughts, which is fascinating. Um, And so I think our three, or my three kind of responses from this chapter um, were first, like, the church is flawed. Uh, but we need to show people the value and the beauty of the church, um, and I think we need to be making sure that as youth workers, we're not so siloed. It's easy to be like, my job is a Tuesday, Wednesday thing, or whenever your youth group meets, but how is how are we as youth workers making sure that our students are connected to the big church? Um, are we getting them involved in serving? Do we have kids that are you know interested in tech? Are they helping on Sunday mornings? Um, Do we have kids that are in choir? Are they involved in the worship team? Are they sitting in the main service? When Sticky Faith kind of identified five of the um, kind of core reasons that kids leave the church once they're out of high school, one of those reasons was they had no connection to an intergenerational um, kind of Sunday morning expression of church. So are we making sure that we're getting our students kind of involved in seeing the beauty of church itself? Because if they're only seeing youth group, they're not understanding the value of that intergenerational church. And parents, this is a core um, kind of, or it should be in my opinion, a core value uh, for us as well. When we consider families, like it's really easy to sleep in on Sunday mornings or make soccer kind of the main priority or whatever it looks like. Um, But I think when it kind of comes to parenting um, from what I've seen just as a spectator in youth ministry, like you kind of, you get what you are. Um, And so if we want our children to be involved in the church, we got to make sure that we're modeling that as well um, as a family. And I think this is a particularly relevant one coming back from COVID. We still have some families um, in our church who used to be regularly involved and are not anymore just because it's become a habit to be at home. And I think that's another point where it's like, this church is not a building, it's a body, and we can't engage in the kind of encouragement piece of church, the Um, mentoring piece of church, the community piece of church from the couch. So again, are we showing kids the value of church and are we living into that and investing? And then I think we need to identify that main purpose of church. There's a lot of speculation here. Like if the main purpose of church is only that horizontal piece, right? Like um, that's a really important thing for us to debate and talk about. Like, I believe it has to be that combination. It has to be vertical and it has to be horizontal. Um, And I think this is an, uh, an area where I see a lot of this with or a lot of concern about the church with students, particularly um, coming from my context in the US, after some um, racial tension really blew up in our culture. Like a lot of our students were kind of questioning like, well, what is the church's response to issues of social justice or issues of um, climate change and things like that? And I think this is a great opportunity for us to like lean into that and talk about that vertical piece and that horizontal piece. Like what is our call to respond the needs of our community, but also to engage in like learning and worship and, um, and growing in our knowledge of the Bible. And then third, I think we need to serve the community. Um, but we also the church needs to be a place of teaching and sending. And so I think we as youth pastors, it needs to be our job to To identify gifts in our students, are we talking about spiritual gifts? Are we talking about where they can use them? Like in Acts, we see the early church be a place where people come together to learn, to worship, to grow, um, to be encouraged, and then they go out into their communities. So, are we demonstrating that? Are we modeling that for our students? Are we making this, um, our churches a place where they can come and grow and be fed and worship, and identify their own gifts, and then equipping them to go and serve in? Uh, their community, maybe with organizations that are better equipped to do that as well, like nonprofits or um, or mission partners of our churches. So that's kind of uh, where I, I kind of saw the chapter going.
0: Claire, that's really good. And, and you know, everything you gave us there, it's just, it just seems like we've had this from start to finish here, this string of gold, you know, that you folks have been putting out there. And I it prompts so many thoughts. And you know, as we're talking about theology and, you know, the dirty D word doctrine, right, as a lot of people see it as dirty, you just made a great case there for us to hunker down and spend some time, you know, even if it's just briefly reading about the doctrine of the church, you know, what is the church, what is the function of the church, and I think this is where, you know, even as as you said, you know, like, Jesus didn't care about the church, that was his bride, right, and Kruger talks about that, and You know, progressive Christianity, in effect, if that's the case, is divorcing Jesus from his bride. And and we certainly don't want to do that. Very practical thing. I I, I loved how you brought parents in there, you know, and you talked about Sunday mornings and soccer. This, I'm hearing this from so many youth workers right now. Uh, sports and travel sports and all of that and you know how it I mean I, I, years ago I heard like it's crept into Wednesday night then it's crept into weekend activities and now it's Sunday mornings and we have a place near us here when Lisa and I drive to church we drive past on Sunday mornings very early 7 30 uh, the largest indoor outdoor sports complex in North America it's right against the highway and the lines of cars going in there and the the packing of the parking lots and the slowdowns in the traffic, and you're just going, okay, this is what these people are worshiping. This is what's become most important in their lives. So this is good word. Good word. David, you were going to say something here.
5: Yeah. Uh, thank you. Claire. That was, that was great. Thank you so much for what you said. Um a couple things real quick. Uh, I agree with uh, what uh, Dr. Mueller said. Um, we, I think we have a, an ecclesiological problem in youth ministry, and what, what I mean by that is that we, uh, we, and at least where I am, I, I, I find that, you know, many uh, youth workers have a, such a low view of the church. Uh, I think we need to, we need to address that issue. Um, I, I, I have found, that's the, the second thing I wanted to, to say, I have found, uh, you know, some good resources that, have, you know, helped me a great deal, and one of them is Kevin DeYoung's "Why We Love the Church." That's a great book. Uh, uh, I think the subtitle is "In Praise of Institutions." I think that's a, a good a good book for us to read and to and to to to, to recommend to parents and, and, and youth workers and even you know our youth. Uh, I, I think that uh, we need to recover a, a, a high view of, of the church. Mm,
0: yeah, so good, so good. So we need to wrap this up, and I really appreciate uh, all, all of you who have been on here, and we're going to have you back on. Uh, we'll record again, get a second part of this. So, folks, you'll you'll want to hear more from us. It'll be the next episode after this one that we'll put out there. But uh, we actually were we were quite we were thinking ahead of time that we'd be able to do all this in one episode, and we got halfway through the book. So, uh, I know we'll be doing a second one. Uh, Chris, would you just say a word about what you're going to put up on the player notes for us? And I know you didn't say anything during this, but. Uh, we're grateful to you for all the work you do in making sure that these recordings get done and get done well and get out there. But tell, tell folks how to access this stuff.
6: Sure. This uh, Obviously, this has become a, a two-part uh, uh, episode here, but this first one will be episode 152. If you visit CPYU's homepage, look for episode 152, um, and it'll be—I don't know exactly what the title will be, something along the lines of the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, something like that, part one. Uh, in the show notes, all the books, all the resources, uh, recommendations, all those things are going to be listed and linked to in the show notes. So if you want to learn some more information, check out the show notes. Uh, We'll be able to point you in the right direction.
0: Great. Thank you. And as always, we say to folks, you know, please be sure to uh, give us a good review, share this podcast, subscribe to it. I know you hear that whenever you hear a podcast, but it is helpful. So, uh, and I'd invite you to listen to our other podcasts as well. Kyle talked at the top about uh, the Word and Youth Ministry, which is by youth workers for youth workers related to what we're talking about here. And then we do a daily one-minute podcast that you can find online and subscribe to as well called Youth Culture Today. Youth workers, that's one we really want you to share with parents because it's just one minute a day where we give them something that will be challenging and practical and, and helpful and hope-filled as well. So to all of you who have been on here with us today, thank you, folks. I see your faces. Appreciate you all so much. We'll have you back. And folks will be able to hear from you again. And those of you who are listening, thanks for joining us. And we'll chat with you on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters.
1: Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, Email us at podcast at cpyu dot org.